Good evening, everyone. We're broadcasting live, May fifth, two thousand sixteen. Tonight's quote from the Itivuttaka. Uh, it's actually interesting. The quote itself is fairly simple. It's talking about two spheres. The quote is actually mistranslated as usual, um, which may not be important. It's actually more of an interpretative translation. The word for spiritual is interesting. Those of you who know anything about Pali or the Dhamma might be wondering, well, what, what, where does that word come from? I haven't seen that word before. And you'd be right, that's not the word that's being used. Let's look at the Pali. We got the commentary up. Let's look at the original Pali. Dwe mani bhikkhu dhanani. There are these two types of gifts. Amisadanancha, dhammadanancha. What two types of gifts? Amisa, a gift of amisa. Amisa means a object or a physical thing. Something physical is amisa. And dhammadana is a gift of dhamma. So you can see how we get spiritual from that, but it's important to be precise and clear what we're talking about. A gift of truth. And Dhamma means truth, or the word Dhamma is an interesting word. Uh, originally, probably, I, mean, I haven't studied the etymology, but it was used in Hinduism to, to mean something that someone holds. So uh, a warrior, warrior's Dharma, because the, verb, the root Dharma means to carry or to hold to protect, to guard, to keep. Keep might be a good one. So a, a, a warrior's dharma would be the rules they keep or the code that they kept. It was what they held. And what and we say that in English, when you hold something to be true or you hold something to be right. That's what dharma, where it comes from. And so the Buddha twisted that. I mean, by the time the Buddha came around, I've talked about this before, by the time the Buddha came around, it would have meant anything that someone holds to be true. So a teacher's dharma, a spiritual teacher would have their dharma. There were many different kinds of teachers who taught many different things, and each one, what they taught was called their dharma. So the Buddha had his own dharma, or dhamma, as we say in Pali. But the Buddha explained it a bit differently, and he talked about something that holds its own, or something that holds, and it's another way we use in English the word hold. This holds, that holds. It doesn't hold that, it holds that. It's a figurative way of saying something is true, something is factual, Means meaning it holds up to inspection. When you inspect it, it holds up, meaning it doesn't break down. So when you inspect a, a view, some views when you inspect them, when you investigate them, they break down. 
you see they don't accord with reality but some hold up and so what that means is, is reality or truth so the Buddha's Dharma is the truth is the truth of course every religious teacher says that but that's how he means it so that's how I think we should understand it here a gift of truth and he says etadagang bhikkave me sangjinang dana yadidang dhammadana dhammadana is superior of the two a gift of dhamma is superior a gift of truth and then he says the same about samvibhaga which means sharing there are two kinds of sharing there are sharing of of uh, material possessions and there is sharing of truth and anugaha which means support right? assistance help there are two kinds of help helping someone materially giving them money or giving them food or giving etc and then the, the helping them out with the truth and he says in each case the, the truth is better and the commentary has some interesting explanations I and mean, it's, it's what you'd expect the amisadana is the is the four basic requisites giving uh, physical things that are needed I mean, maybe it's not that interesting but uh, it, it, there's it uses some interesting language like uh, when you when you are not up when you're up which means lazy or, or uh, inactive you give up your your life of ease to teach others that's that's what it, how it's a gift because the truth to give someone the truth it's an interesting seems kind of strange I suppose how do you give someone the truth well it means taking the time to teach them the truth not being uh, not being lazy or not not being focused only on your own well-being and then the second one is or the third one giving assistance it says paresang anugang anuganhang ganhanang anukampang anukampang means uh, compassionately or uh, it means kampa uh, kampa Kampanang means to to be moved, and anukampanang means uh, being moved to compassion or moved in relation to someone, moved to want to help them. So you can help them in two ways: with physical, material possessions, or with the truth. So. This is, of course, a perennial subject. We've seen many quotes about giving. What does it mean to give? And uh, the importance of giving. And I often bring up the topic or the fact that uh, it's a bit of an awkward thing and, and it, it sounds somewhat self-serving to teach generosity as a teacher because you know as a monastic because we rely upon people's generosity but 
it's not something to be ashamed of or it's not something to to shy away from i mean because it, it's just a fact that in order to keep teaching in order to keep sharing the dhamma uh, we need to be fed we need to be given we need to have the requisites the basics uh, of, of life to continue our work but uh, this quote is for those who give what they should think about giving and, and it's important not to fixate on material possessions because yes it's it's good to give physical things but it's not the best it's not something we should focus on and so in the Buddha's time as well as in presence it's easy to get caught up in amisadana giving too much material and forgetting about the truth so a lot of people will support teachers or support Buddhist monks but they them but they never give the Dhamma so they're constantly giving material possessions but they never have any they never work to give the Dhamma and that fact kind of I think shows that in fact material whereas it seems to be that material possessions are more concrete right so they're, they're more weighty and so immediately we think well this is good and if you think about giving the Dhamma well it sounds kind of meaning you know kind of trivial just telling someone what to do teaching you know that's easy when in fact the opposite is the case it's not easy to teach it's not easy to teach but uh, it's it, it's something it's far better it's far better to, to give the Dhamma than to give physical, material, material uh, gifts. It's like if you give the, the, the uh, giving physical, giving material possessions, material gifts is actually much easier, much more trivial. If you've ever tried to teach someone ever tried to give someone the truth or even tried to give advice to someone it's not easy it's easy to give advice it's not as easy to give good advice anyone can give advice and mostly we do we're very good at giving advice we're not very good at giving good advice this is the problem to give good advice you need you need to work you need to train uh, but I absolutely can't um, can't stress enough the importance of giving the Dhamma. Of course, giving to yourself first. Uh, don't should never teach without practicing yourself. But um, the greatness of giving the Dhamma, just sharing what you've learned. I mean, that's how Buddhism will continue. If people stop spreading the Dhamma, if we're content with giving physical gifts, uh, material gifts if our goodness uh, focuses mo mostly as Buddhists we practice for ourselves and then we're generous with material possessions Buddhism will never survive and you can see this in Buddhist cultures where giving material possessions is stressed it becomes corrupt quite easily monks become corrupt the institution becomes corrupt but where people give Dhamma uh, more people there's more scrutiny and there's more interest and it's more public with more people practicing you know, more people come in 
to learn, to understand. There's a greater understanding when we're talking about the Dhamma, when we give the Dhamma. So there's, it's, a, it's wrong to think that I'm not a teacher. I don't dare teach because I'm not a teacher. That's the wrong way of looking at it. The Buddha didn't think of himself, or, or he didn't, he did, but he often talked, talked about himself or, or a teacher as more of a good friend, someone who gives something. And so often he used this kind of language, giving a gift of truth. And that's what it is. If you know the truth, if you've been taught the truth, share it. It's like on Facebook, we share all sorts of stuff because we think it's good. In, in Buddhist cultures, they'll often print texts and they'll print books. You know, people who print helped print this book. Uh, that's a good point. Is we're probably going to, if I'm going to Sri Lanka, we might as well print another thousand of them, right? So we should have a, we should have another. Here we go. This is a good. But you know, even printing books, it's secondary. Printing books is useful. Is great. But um, if you compare it to not to boaster and not, but if you compare it to the the writing of the book, the creating of the book. And that's what we need. We need not people writing more books, but necessarily, but actually teaching, actually helping, actually working. So once we get a center, if we ever get a, you know, a, a thriving meditation center, maybe we can start training teachers as well. I've done that before. It's not difficult. It's not difficult to teach. Again, it just takes time to teach well. You have to work at that. Anyway, quite a simple quote. Not too much more to say. Except to encourage. We should be encouraged to give gifts of Dhamma. Not just printing books and giving, you know, because that's kind of actually just physical. You know, It's still just a material thing. But actually giving someone the truth, that's very difficult. Something we should work at. It should be a part of our practice. The Buddha said, or the commentary says, uh, I'll read it again. Aposuko ahutwa, not being lazy, not being, uh, not being indolent, indolent, inert. You know, it's easy as a meditator to just go off on your own and do nothing, which is fine. But it's uh, much greater to share the Dhamma. Dhamma samvibhago, the sharing of the Dhamma. We should share. Taught that in kindergarten. Anyway, that's the quote for tonight. Another drop of Dhamma. Do you have any questions? How can we give the Dhamma if we are surrounded by uninterested people? That's a good point. If there's no one in, and, I mean, it's not so much that interested, it's people who are in need or are um, receptive. So it, it doesn't mean people have to say, hey, I want to learn about meditation. But if someone's suffering, um, or 
Yeah, mainly if someone's suffering and looking for a, for an, a cure, you know, offering Buddhism as a cure is useful. But that's a good question, you know. It's true. If you're surrounded by people who are uninterested, well, many of us find ourselves in that position, but uh, I think there's probably something to be said for, well, it would be a reason for moving to a place where there's more people interested, surrounding yourself with people who are interested. Putting yourself in a position where you're with people who are interested. But, you know, another argument, because monks sometimes find themselves alone, it doesn't mean they, it's, it's important. It doesn't mean it's an intrinsic part of our practice. In fact, that's something I should mention, is that dana, generosity, isn't, isn't an intrinsic part of the path. It's not necessary. So this is more like if you're going to give a gift, which sort of gift should you give? And what sort of gift is better? Because often we are in a position where we can give, can help someone. You know, someone's upset, but giving them a box of chocolates is probably not. Giving them a candy or something is probably not the best answer. So you don't have to give gifts. If there's no one interested, if there's truly no one interested or uh, receptive, then well, it's like if there's no one hungry, well, don't don't go around giving people food if they're not hungry. Why are some intelligent people not wise, but wise people seem to be always intelligent? I don't know that that's necessarily true. I mean, wisdom in Buddhism is involved with mindfulness, and that creates a certain clarity of mind. But... Um, you know, like there was this, there's this teacher in Israel, and uh, he's not very intelligent, I don't think. I mean, he's always said that. He's a Buddhist monk in, in my tradition, ordained under the same teacher. Um, but he said, you know, he said his memory is very poor. And I, you know, I think it is from, from what I've seen. I memorized the Patimokkha, and he just shook his head. He said, "I don't know. I don't know how you do that." But he's a, he's a he's a very powerful you know, presence and very pure. Um, so it's not necessarily the case. Certain aspects of intelligence aren't necessary. But um, don't let anyone fool you into thinking. You know, into dismissing their. You know, uh, lack of clarity of mind as being unimportant. If someone's mind is not clear, there's a clarity that's associated with wisdom. So, so like, um, there was this monk in the Visuddhimagga talks about this monk who couldn't remember. Um, Who had no? Who, who remembered? Who could study? The, who had studied the Majjhima Nikaya, uh, and then left it alone for twenty years and hadn't memorized the, the Majjhima Nikaya, and for twenty years he hadn't gone over it. And some students came to see him, and he had become because he had become enlightened. He was able to remember it all, and he was able to to recite it back to them or explain it to them. Um, so the power of 
of meditation and enlightenment is is, uh, is definitely supportive of intelligence. There's the story of Chula Pantaka who couldn't remember a, a, a single stanza. Uh, but then he became an arahant, and I'm pretty sure after he became after he became an arahant, the Buddha asked him to give a talk, and everyone was like, "Well, he couldn't even remember a stanza." But he was because he was an arahant, he was able to teach all of the Buddha's teaching. He was quite uh, wise. But I would say I would say probably some. Mm, there, there, you may be able to argue that certain aspects of intelligence don't have anything to do with wisdom. So why are some people who are intelligent not wise? I would argue that there's some basis for that. A person who is who is more intelligent has some wholesome base which may not be associated with wisdom. See, intelligence is considered to be a wholesome result, right? So wisdom is a wholesome karma, so therefore it brings about that sort of result. Um, but intelligence can also be a, a result of, of worldly karma, potentially not even wisdom. Because goodness can be done with wisdom or without wisdom. Jnana sampayutta and jnana vipayutta. But um, I'd, I'd probably guess that intelligence is more on the wisdom side. I mean, they're, they're of course, closely related. And who's to say what is intelligence and what is wisdom? They're just words. But as far as having a good memory and so on, um, may not be associated with wisdom, but probably more, so more likely associated with wisdom. But at any rate, it's a result, and so... Uh, a person may not keep up the karma, you know, as with everything. A person can be rich because of their past generosity in the past life, but then they're no longer generous, right? Because they're rich, they're no longer generous, so they give that up. Uh, our goodness, our, our states of goodness change. So but probably most intelligent people were wise at some point. Maybe not, probably. But it's easy for that to change. The only thing that doesn't change is insight into Nibbana, which, which uh, breaks through samsara. How was he suddenly... Well, he wasn't maybe able to teach the whole teaching, but he was able to give a very profound talk, because he was an arahant. I mean, he, he understood the truth. But no, maybe not. But you know, probably a great amount of it. And moreover, I think the idea is that suddenly his memory improved. Suddenly his memory cleared up. So I mean, I'm not convinced about this Israeli monk who. I, it sounds reasonable, but it also could be argued that the more you meditate, the more clear your mind becomes, the better your memory gets. So, like Ajahn Tong's memory. I mean, he forgets things and he mixes things up and he has for a long time because he's tired, mostly. And that's the other thing is your brain 
um, the, the, the quality of your brain, the state of your brain. Uh, and But his memory, you know, the things he remembers, suddenly he just pulls something out and he mixes it up sometimes, but always pulling out this or that from, from you know, his mind. There's such a clarity. So as, imagine Julapantaka had heard all the Buddha's teaching but just couldn't remember it. And actually it was because of bad karma. He had called some uh, Apacheka Buddha, I think, uh, an imbecile or something, or a Buddha, I can't remember. He did something very bad. I know there was a monk who was who had a stutter, I think, and he, he made fun of it. No, a monk who couldn't remember anything, I think, and he made fun of this monk or something. I can't remember. See, memory. It's a funny thing. I have to look it up. But uh, yeah, there is a connection. Anyway. Uh, yeah, left brain, right brain. I've heard that as well. interesting there's um, I think it's more complicated than that I mean that's a generalization but there are centers in the brain I was reading a couple of books about that how different centers in the brain are used for different qualities like there's this the emotional what is it called this book um, we have it here the emotional life of your brain or something like that it's quite interesting it talks about the different spheres or different parts of the brain Any more questions? Well, then I'll say good night. Good night, everyone.